0: So today I have a little bit of a surreal experience happening. Uh, we were trying to figure out what year it was, but, but somewhere in the late 90s, uh, I was a youth pastor, and I had this crazy kid in my youth program who, uh, yeah, I, I just could tell you stories, but, but then he'd tell stories, and we'd all be in trouble. Uh, well, that crazy kid grew up to become a young man named Luke Parker. Uh, And he married a beautiful girl named Jess, and he has two wonderful sons named Matthew and Sam. And he uh, planted a whole bunch of churches and did a whole bunch of ministry. And long story short, he became the director of church planting for our denomination, Eco. And because we as a church have set a goal of planting churches and being part of planting churches... Uh, we invited him out to help speak to our leaders about how to do that and to think that through carefully. And, and he's going to speak more in depth about that for all of you who want to over in Nine Court Square, uh, so right across the courtyard uh, after the service at about 10.15. He's going to talk about church planning more. But right now, he's going to talk about Jesus as part of our series, uh, Walking Through the Gospel of John. But would you listen carefully for God's word through my friend, and brother, Luke Parker. Good to have you, buddy. Good to be here. Uh,
1: well, hey everybody, I really am glad to be here, uh, in part because I have a microphone and John doesn't know what stories I'm gonna tell. And you can already tell that he's nervous, which is really fun. Just, we could just keep this tension going right now. And it could get worse. But honestly, I really am glad to be here, in part because John really did play a huge role in my Christian formation. I can say that it's unlikely that without his ministry, I would believe in Jesus or that I would be in ministry, which is a pretty profound thing. And it seems important to mention because you have people here who are just sitting up here who may one day go on to do great things for the kingdom. You have people in your youth program and in your college ministry, you, for that matter, you have adults showing up for the first time who may or may not know Jesus. And it's possible by inviting these people out for coffee, or inviting them over to your home for dinner, or investing in them, you may play a huge role in what God may do in this city and in this state, and, well, for the kingdom of God. We're thinking about. Would you pray with me? Lord and Father, I pray that you would do great work, great work in First Pres Harrisonburg, I pray that this church would be able to love its neighbors well, would be able to raise up leaders and a brand new generation that knows how to reach lost people well. We pray, O oh Lord, for great kingdom growth, that you would start churches, that you would baptize people, and that we'd be able to brag about you and all that you've done. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, in the Presbyterian church that I grew up in, we had this old joke. Now, the worship in the church was excellent. The music was fantastic. The preaching was inspired. The community was deep and missional. We loved one another. You just couldn't always tell by looking at us on a Sunday. And so we had this old joke. We called ourselves the frozen chosen. Some of y'all know this joke. I can see it. And at one point, I had the the opportunity to go with a friend to church who belonged to a very different tribe of Christianity. And everything was just so much more expressive. And I was uncomfortable. I mean everything, not just the music, the preaching, the announcements, the offering. People were engaged. And if at any point you were tempted to become a spectator, someone would yell, yell, can I get a witness? And it wasn't always a person at the front of the room. Often it was my friend who had brought me to church shouting next to me. It sounded like a question. It was not. It was declaration. It was exhortation. It was invitation. It was a call to participation. And everyone at some point or another would start shouting, Amen, Hallelujah, Praise the Lord, or just clapping for what God had done. It was a call that expected a response. It's the same call that echoes from Genesis to Revelation, and it's particularly present in the passage of Scripture we're going to read today. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in John 12. We're actually going to start at verse 36, so one verse earlier than it says. John 12:36. 36. While well, you have the light... Believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. Although he performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So they could not believe. Because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they might look with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as judge. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore I speak, just as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I get a witness? This church has been, there you go, it happens eventually, God shakes us up. This church has been in the Gospel of John for a little while now, And if you haven't been following along, you should know Jesus has done some pretty impressive things. He has turned water into wine. A good party into a great party. He has walked into the nicest church in town and broke a bunch of stuff, and then he walked out like he did everybody a favor. He has healed people with a word. the Lamb walk the blind, see the dead are raised. He has treated some very respectable people with very little respect. He's fed thousands with crumbs. He's literally walked on water. And all along the way, he's been talking about the God of the universe like their family, like he's the father and Jesus is the son. And what's more, everyone can be adopted into this family, can become brothers and sisters of Jesus, can become children of the father, children of the light. That's what it says in verse 36. And then in verse 37 it says, And he'd done so many signs among them. Even though he'd done so many signs among them, they did not believe in him. Kind of anticlimactic. Not really what we're expecting. Signs are the words in the Gospel of John. That's what you use to refer to miracles. So things that are amazing, but actually even more amazing because they point to a reality beyond themselves. They gesture at something even bigger than this amazing, miraculous moment. And the people in this story cannot seem to read the signs. They don't seem to see the thing that they're pointing at. How is that possible? After 9-11 in Manhattan, there were, well, the city was really a different place. Uh, Planes had exploded. Buildings had come down. Lives would never be the same. But everywhere you looked, there were these signs, literally signs, that felt really unnecessary. It said, if you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. After this profound moment, it was really encouraging the whole of the city to become a witness. Because a witness has their eyes open. They're not passive, they're ready to see something. They are looking for something. A witness has their mouth open. They are ready to declare what it is that they have seen. A witness who sees something but doesn't say something? Well, it's not really a witness. The question is, was the the thing that you saw just not that important? Is silence not that big a deal? Will it not really affect people? Someone who says something but doesn't see something, well that's easy, that's a liar. But what do you call somebody who sees something and doesn't say something? In this passage, in verse 42 and 43, these people, they have seen it. They've seen it, but they don't want to talk about it. Why? The gospel writer just starts quoting Isaiah. He's flabbergasted. Isaiah who says, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has believed our message? It's like God doesn't want them to believe. Like he has closed their eyes, like he's sewn them shut, like he's poured concrete over their hearts, these people, if they really believed, they would, they would, something would happen. They would turn, and God would heal them. And you and I, when we hear these verses, we go, ooh, ah. That, does that mean that God is capricious and cruel? Does that, does that mean that evangelism is pointless, that people are doomed? No. And we know that not just because the Bible in general will tell us, but this passage is pretty clear. Jesus came into the world... Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not to judge the world. The world gets judged not by Jesus, but by their response to what he says. By how they respond to this call to be a witness. The word that I've spoken will serve as the judge. That's what it says. So we, we see these words in Isaiah, and they, they do two things for us. They tell us first and foremost, God is not surprised when people don't believe He sees it coming. Second, that this has happened before. This happened in the time of Moses. It happened in the time of Isaiah. It happened in the time of Jesus. These things happened to them. They were written down for us. And they teach us that people often respond incorrectly to revelation. That some people hear a call from Jesus and shut their ears tightly. They serve as a warning for us to respond differently. Because you and I, we know that in the Gospels, it's the religious people who are often very dangerous people. It's the people who claim the word of God for themselves, but then you see what they actually do with it. Those people are constantly being warned. And you and I, we know these stories of Jesus, but we know even more. We've heard these things in the Gospel of John, but we know what God has done in our lives. So we are not going to respond like they do because there are people in this room who know that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are people in this room who know that God heals people from addictions. People in this room who have seen their own children snatched from death and despair. People in this room who have seen God heal marriages, restore families, People in this room who felt anger drawn out of them like poison from a wound. There are people in this room who have seen God change lives up close. It was miraculous. They have seen the signs. They know what they point to. There are people in this room who have been through misery and pain and suffering and God didn't leave them for a moment. There are people in this room who have felt God move in their bodies and heal them. There are people in this room who have seen God move in their hearts and heal them. There are people in this room who know that God saves sinners. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Mm-hmm. That is why we get together. Right there. Worship is an act of witness. We get together. We adore Jesus. We tell his story. We tell each other because we are tempted to forget. We forget our own stories. We forget what's happened in their stories. They don't know our stories. We need to talk about what God has done. It is an act of Worship. In the Psalms it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's just acknowledge what God has done in our lives over and over and over and over again. It's like breathing. Take a deep breath in with me. Another one, this time deeper than usual. I didn't have to tell you to breathe out. In fact, the deeper you breathe in, the more you feel the urgency to breathe out. It's what it is to be a witness. When our eyes are open and we see something, our mouths get opened and we say something. When our bodies get filled with the presence of God, we just have to breathe it out into the world. Then when we're out in the world and there's just no oxygen, we are desperate to get filled back up again. And there's this rhythm of worship and witness and worship and witness. But it takes brave people be witnesses. No question. It says, Isaiah saw his glory. That's verse 41. Isaiah saw his glory and spoke about him. He saw something. He said something. It's talking about Isaiah 6, which is where the words of this prophecy come from. But you're kind of supposed to remember the whole story. And if you don't, you should know that Israel was in a, a bad time, The king had died and Isaiah goes into the temple and he's looking for meaning and he's looking for answers and suddenly he sees the glory of God filling the place. And he hears a voice and the voice says, Who? Who shall I send? Who will be a witness? Who will go for us? Who will represent the God of the universe and tell people what they have seen? And Isaiah stands there and says, here I am, Lord. I may be weak, I may be small, I may be mortal, I may be a man of unclean lips, I may be a sinner. But I will tell people what I have seen. I will tell people what I have experienced. It takes brave people to be a witness. Isaiah has that message. He has to go out and talk to some people in darkness who are pretty confident they've seen the light to help them to understand who this God is they claim to follow while still not following him and what God is about to do. It takes brave people to be a witness. Jesus, who says, I came as a light into the world, in verse 46. A light into the world so that people wouldn't stay in the darkness. That gives us a really clear sense. People are stuck in the dark. People who do not have Jesus are in the dark. And like anyone in the dark, they feel alone. They are lost. They will bump into things. They will hurt themselves. They will hurt each other. And they genuinely believe the situation is hopeless. These people cannot be a witness. They need a witness. I remember being in a Bible study with a friend and sitting kind of around the room with a bunch of dudes and looking over at his Bible, I could see there was writing, but it was upside down, and it was on the cover. And the more I read it, the more confused I got because it said, Jesus loves porn stars. And I immediately had a question, but did not... It, was, it didn't really come out as a question so much as... Um, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, the sentence was arresting, and my friend said, oh, yeah, um, I actually, I had a serious sexual addiction. And I wasn't a Christian. When I came to Christ, it was through this ministry, and that was one of the ways that I just knew that God had saved me. It was incredible. And so I, I work with this ministry from time to time. They call themselves the X Church. And one of the things we do is we will go to porn conventions, which is where the industry gathers together to celebrate itself, which is an interesting thing. And we wanna be there as a witness. We set up little booths, we have Bibles, we want them to see this sentence. Because generally speaking, these people think that you and I think that they're too far gone. They are confident that there is no hope for people like us. And so they embrace this life even in their misery and in their darkness. And we want to make sure that there are people there with good news who say, This is not the life you were built for. Jesus loves you. And I said, Well, yeah, but like, I mean, you, but you were saved out of that? Like, aren't you, doesn't that make you uncomfortable? Isn't that like, doesn't that feel dangerous for you? And my friend shrugged his shoulders. What is light for? What is light for if not darkness? What is light for if not darkness? And if we don't go, who will go? Can I get a witness? It takes brave people, though. No question. The fear in verse 42 is real. The fear that you will get kicked out of polite society. Because that's what people are worried about. They do actually see it. It's not that they're doomed. They do actually believe, but they're just not willing to talk about it, not willing to admit that they actually believe in Jesus. And these people, they're scared of something, and so they make a choice. They choose darkness. When push comes to shove, darkness over light. They choose death over life, they choose silence over witness. They choose fear and safety and comfort and security and the status quo instead of the kingdom of God. They are more worried about human disapproval than divine disapproval. More worried about human glory than God's glory. And if we're honest, we feel it too. The leader of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis, likes to say this is polite persecution. What you and I experience in the West. Polite. It's not people getting thrown into jail and tortured and heads getting cut off. You just might not get the promotion you want. You might be marginalized a little bit if people start to know that you really believe these things. You, you might not get funding for the project you're looking for. Your art might not get hung in the gallery. Your music might not get that much of a following. You, you may not be able to build the brand that you'd really like to. Your kid might not get the position they really want. It's, it's polite, but it's well, you're going to get kicked out. People won't want to come over to your house. They're not going to want to hang out at your barbecues. We feel it. But we have a choice. And we don't want to respond the way these people do. It was written down for us. It happened to them, but it was written for us. There's a guy named Steve who was a firefighter, part of a church that I was in for a while. And uh, Steve knew he was called to be a witness in high school. He came to Christ, he was 17 years old, and he knew he was called to be a witness. He became a firefighter. Not because he was running from his calling, he just wanted to be a firefighter. But he spent his whole life as a firefighter, acting as a witness. And it was obnoxious. People really did not appreciate it when the 18-year-old kid was in the truck with them and preaching sermons while they were on their way to a call, or when they were trapped at the firehouse with them for 24-hour shifts, or well, when you know someone was dying by the side of the road, and Steve was loudly praying that God might heal them or do something incredible while you're trying to you know put something in their throat. Steve would pray with people after they'd been saved. He would pray with folks who had lost somebody. Steve was always in the church helping out wherever he could, especially with single moms. He was good with his hands, so he was always fixing cars and trucks and things like that. And inevitably, that meant that his kids had to be you know, late to everything. They were always getting stuck with something. We were always serving, we were always doing something. And it was just, we, Dad, can we just, and every now and again they'd be on their way to somewhere really important, and they would show up late because they would stop by the side of the road to help somebody who needed a tire fixed. And this was just the rhythm of this man's whole life. He was constantly talking about Jesus. He was constantly acting as a witness. And it was really irritating for an awful lot of people. And one day when he died, over 5,000 people came to his funeral many of whom were not Christians, by the way, many of whom still, with a mild amount of irritation in their voice, but also a little bit of respect, would say, you know, he was a man of faith, and honestly, I just I wish I had the confidence he had. Even for these people, they knew what they saw in him, and there was a wistfulness. They wanted what he had, they just weren't sure that it was worth it. That man was known by those he led to Christ and those he had failed to lead to Christ as a witness. It takes brave people, no question. Especially because we know that a lot of the time as a witness, rejection is a common thing. Failure is a common thing. We know this because Jesus, who is the ultimate witness, Jesus who here says, I am a witness to the Father, the Father has sent me, verse 44 and 45, really the whole thing, Look, you don't see me, you see the Father. You're not hearing me, you're hearing the Father. The command that I've got, it's not my command, it's the Father's command. I'm saying exactly what I've been told to say. I'm speaking exactly as I've been told to speak. I'm just a witness. Jesus, who is an incredible witness, has a great deal of failure. The crucifixion is definitely a failure. It is a bad moment for people who are trying to talk about Jesus. It is a significant rejection for the gospel. And Jesus does it anyway. Which means in a real way, when we act as witnesses, we are following Jesus. We are bringing light into a dark world and we're gonna see the reaction that it brings. On July 19th, uh, 2015, just a couple of years ago, there was something in the water off the coast of St. Peter's Beach in Florida. Nobody knew what it was, but nobody knew who saw it first. It wasn't until 8.40 in the morning that Denise Taylor called it in because it was clear to her that this thing was not just a log covered in barnacles. It was exactly four feet long. It was clearly man-made. It tapered in a very particular way. It had a propeller or a fan on the back of it. And she thought it was a torpedo and called the police. She saw something, she said something. And they called the bomb squad. And it turned out that it was not a bomb, at least not a bomb meant for destruction, It was a bomb meant for illumination. It was an M122 photo flash bomb from World War II. It had been circling in the ocean for decades. had over 100 pounds of ordnance inside of it. And the way you would use an M122 photo flash bomb is you would drop it over a city in the middle of the night, and it would explode with 500 million candle power. For reference, the sun has 127,000 candle power. This would be thousands of times brighter than the sun. And a curious thing happens when you drop one of those photo flash bombs. Allies of the light can see. Suddenly they can see for miles, an entire city lit up in an instant. They can take photos so that even when the light isn't as present, they know where to go and they won't be lost. Meanwhile, enemies of the light shut their eyes. It temporarily blinds them, makes it difficult to shoot at the people who are allies of the light. The light has a funny way of, well, judging. Not by judging, but by just showing you the reaction to the light. And with Jesus, we find that there is not a single person who reacts correctly. When Jesus comes as a light into the world, everybody's eyes are tightly closed. The Bible says it was while we were yet sinners. While we were enemies of the cross, that's when Christ died for the ungodly. And so when you and I act as witnesses, we really do follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We go to people who do not yet believe in him, who do not yet know him, who are not particularly interested in this good news that we have, in the hopes that it might open their eyes. And so we become witnesses of the one who is a witness. We begin to engage in this life of the Trinity. We become very much like Jesus. Jesus who is constantly pointing to the Father and to the Spirit. And I know when I say Trinity, that makes people a little bit nervous, because we think of it as a math problem in God, but it's not. It's actually very simple. Jesus is the God of the universe, the God of the universe in human flesh. If he's not absolutely God, he can't save us. If he's not absolutely a person, he can't save us. We are confident that Jesus is the God of the universe, but Jesus says he has a Father, and Jesus talks about the Spirit, so we know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we know there's only one God. It's one God and three persons. We don't really know how it works, but we are confident that it's true. And the thing about these different members of the Trinity, they are always acting as witnesses of one another. Always. You will never look so much like the Father as when you adore the Son. You will never look so much like the Son as when you are talking to lost people about the love of the Father. You will never look so much like the Spirit as when you are teaching people to cry out, Abba, Father, to lead people into God's family. This is what it is to become children of the light, to begin actually walking as though we belong alongside Jesus, as we've been brought into this family and we can bring others into this family to talk about the great good news of the God who loves the world, the world that is stuck in darkness. You and I can become so much like this, God, can be so much like Jesus in this way as we bear witness to the Father who has only one thing to say. Live. Live forever. Eternal life. That's the command. And so we go out into the world as witnesses preaching this good news. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Would you pray with me? Lord and Father, we know that You are calling, that You always call that you were calling when we weren't listening. We pray, oh God, we pray that we would answer. Here I am, Lord, and that you would use us, that you would lead people back to yourself, and that we get to see it, and we get to be part of it, and we get to brag about it. Not about us, Lord, but about you. To your name be the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.
0: I really don't plan this out this well, but when I was sitting there this morning, not having heard Luke preach, I was like, well, I'm going to do the prayers of the people. How am I going to do the prayers of the people? And I saw his title, uh, uh, but I didn't pay that close attention. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going I'm to base the prayers of the people on Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, which says, but you will receive power, the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what I want to do is is base our prayer time just on that concept, that you will receive power to be a witness in your Jerusalem, your home, your neighborhood, your place of work, and that you will receive power to be a witness in your Judea, Harrisonburg, Rockingham County, And that you will receive power to be a witness in your Samaria. The people who are way different from you. Maybe it's open doors this week. Maybe it's the refugee immigrant population. Maybe it's that guy who just drives you crazy. And that you will receive power to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we already have that power. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And Lord, I pray that that we'd tap into that, that we'd awaken to it, that we'd believe it, that we would risk it, that we would try, Lord, to be your witnesses in our homes. Lord, we have loved ones. We have family members who don't know you, who are without you and without hope in the world. And Lord, we want them to be with us for eternity. We want them to know the abundant life found in you right now. Lord, give us the power to bear witness to them. Lord, we have others in our lives who are maybe not as close. Neighbors, coworkers. Lord, we want them to know you. But Lord, we're afraid of polite persecution. So give us power. Help us tie into the power we already have to bear witness there. or to just say to our, our waitress, hey, I'm about to pray. How can I pray for you? To just see a neighbor or co-worker who's in distress and, and to go, how can I pray for you? And Lord, give us that same power with people who are way different from us, people who get under our skin, people who we'd rather avoid, people we dislike. Lord, we might dislike them, but you love them. Help us love them and love them enough to bear witness. And Lord, thank you that you raise up witnesses. And give them the power to go to Vietnam and Afghanistan and Iran and and Brazil and the situation in Peru and North Korea and, Lord, to the ends of the earth. Lord, make us bold to say, like Isaiah, here I am, send me. Lord, to those who have never heard your name, Lord, let us be witnesses. And then, Lord, assure us that our labor in you is not in vain. We ask it in Christ's name.